Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, uh, we want to remind everybody that we're in different areas. I'm in California, and Heidi's in New York. And uh, we also want to remind you that these shows are brought to you in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. And Heidi and I uh, would like to remind you that we really uh, build our site and get the hope out and the help out to people uh, from people who are listening to the show like you are. If you could just tell one person uh, a month even, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it be, Heidi? Give them our uh, URL at Open to Hope and uh, let them know about our site. Absolutely, Mom. We want everyone to know that there is hope after loss, that we have walked this, the journey that you've walked, and that we are there for you 24-7 on opentohope.com. And, you know, after Scott died, sometimes I would be grieving at 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and this was before we had the Internet. And, you know, there was no one awake, and I felt like I was the only one in the world that had ever had a brother die. And part of the reason that we created Open to Hope is that so that you'll know that others have been there and made it, and you're going to make it too. And one of the people that have made it is our guest today, Gabrielle. Yeah, uh, we, she's a great guest. And we want you to know also that, you know, people say, oh, that must be really sad working in this area. But it's not because there are fabulous people like Gabrielle who are going on to help other people, and, and they're just an inspiration. They absolutely are, Mom. There are major angels on this earth that have, that have survived loss and gone on to thrive. And today we are going to be interviewing one of those angels on this earth, and her name is Gabrielle Doucette. And, Mom, we're going to be talking about reducing stress after loss. Mm-hmm. And, and especially suicide loss, which is really tough. Absolutely, and Gabrielle knows a lot about this. Gabrielle Doucette works with others who have lost loved ones to suicide. Uh, her son died by suicide just five years ago. She helps people manage their recovery, improve their health, and reduce stress through the mind-body connection. And she is the author of Let Go and Let Love, Survivors of Suicide Loss Healing Handbook. Welcome to the show, Gabrielle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so uh, great to have you on the show, Gabrielle. And, uh, you know, suicide is so tough. Uh, I do a Compassionate Friends um, workshop, I mean, a a group uh, once a month. And one of the big things is um, that suicidal uh, families where there's been a suicide uh, seem to come in feeling um, a little different, a little angry, a little confused. Um, a little stigmatized. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, a little stigmatized. Would that be your uh, experience, Gabrielle? It, ab- it absolutely would be. I mean, <clears throat> I can say that, you know, Say about 30 years ago, no one would even admit to having a loved one or someone in their family or life having taken, you know, their own life. But that stigmatism has barely moved on the Richter scale. It is very difficult to say the word. And when I lost my son, drew to that, I realized exactly what that felt like. So as a, an organization, you know, trying to help people that have, you know, survivors of suicide loss, they're often stymied by what we we bring to the table or don't bring to the table, as it were. We, mm-hmm. We're traumatized in ways that we don't even know how to speak of it because the rest of the world doesn't like to speak of it. So mm-hmm. we're isolated. We're very isolated. That's interesting because when people come in, uh, we see a lot of them. We've been doing this for quite a while, and and there has been a suicide. It, it, the interesting thing is I really don't care. I really care about 
them as people, parents or grandparents or siblings, losing their beloved family member. Uh, that That's really, to me, what's important. But there's a lot of other stuff going on. So talk a little bit. I mean, I'm amazed. It's been five years since Drew took his life. He was married and had kids, right? That's correct. And, he had so much to live for. And, Gabrielle, you said that in your book that you saw some signs that things weren't right as early as him going to college. Is that correct? Or what is your story? Actually, I, I saw very little of um, things about Drew that worried us. Okay. Drew was, um, y- you do see the gamut um, all the way from um, people who who do eventually take their life who have struggled for many, many years mm-hmm. with depression and, and a lot of um, uh, other emotional um, upheavals that have brought come to the surface very early and they receive attention and they work very hard at it. It's just that their pain is too much. In the case of Drew, he was at the other end of the scale okay. in which he he hid everything. Mm. Uh, so our ability to see past that was, or into into where he might have been experiencing pain was very difficult. I mean, he was like perfect from the outside, um, just perfect. He had everything he wanted, and and he was achieving immense things. But but there, when I might have what you might be referring to is that every once in a while I would I would feel this barrier, this barrier mm-hmm. to expressing that I I would worry perhaps and say, you know, is everything okay? Absolutely everything is perfect, Mom. Well, it's hard because sometimes that's just boys and men. I mean, yeah. I have a 17-year-old. Uh, he just turned 18 su- Sunday, but I call him a man a few words. He doesn't <laughs> – He everything is always fine with him, and he, he I think it really is. But, but he also is not as, as expressive as my daughter. My daughter kind of wears her emotions on her sleeve. She'll tell me, whereas he doesn't as much. And it is sometimes hard, like you're saying, Gabrielle, to know – Yes. What's going on? Because they don't tend to talk about it as openly. They, I, I mean, it sounds like your children. Um, w- it was completely my situation mm-hmm. here. My daughter does wear everything on her sleeve and um, <clears throat> very expressive, whereas Drew did not. And I, I do believe I've come to believe in in coming this journey that I have about surviving suicide loss in my family. Someone so dear to me is is that we cannot fix people, but what we can do is we can leave this door wide open and and express ourselves as being open to hearing anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else we can do with our children but that, yeah. because you can't you can't take the top of their head off and, and go in there and look around. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to work with them and just give them as much support and love as you can and be very open to what they need to express themselves with, whether they will or not. Yeah, now talk to us. It's only, uh, I was saying to you earlier, um, it's only been five years for you, which yeah. in the grief and loss world for folks who have lost close family members, they know that can be a pretty short time. How have you gotten to the point where you've gotten where you're helping people? You, We've got some fabulous tools for survival that we want to go over some of them. And, and how have you gotten here? The... The journey that I was taking was certainly um, not going to be the best for me if I continued. Uh, after Drew took his life, you you really do live in a, a terrible place. 
of grief, you are blindsided or your your grief is so deep and it's so personal that you really don't see that you have choices. I think that was the first thing that I, I noticed is I felt like I had lost all my options. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure many people that go through loss of all kinds, tragic loss of any kind, you, you kind of feel like this has all been put on you and it's come to you and that you are, you are indeed a victim of your own mm-hmm. and you don't have choices. My, my first step in the right direction was in sitting up and saying, why have I lost choices? I, I can't believe that I truly have. And when I say choices, I mean, I can do something for myself, can't I? I mean, I have lost Drew. However, I am not dead. Right. I am alive. You and haven't, haven't lost yourself. I haven't lost myself, but I feel like I have lost you know, choices around myself. And Mm -hmm. part of that comes from the external exposure that you are in. Everybody's grieving around you. And then everybody goes on about their business and you are left with this shell that you're living in. And you can choose to stay in that shell. And quite frankly, many do, as I'm sure you have met them, Mm -hmm. is that being in the place where you don't have to do anything about it is far easier a choice and more comfortable with what you know, which is pain and grief, than to come out and realize that there's something you can do about it. So that's the turning point for me was realizing I had not lost my choices. And if I did not have to be without choices, then that means I can make a step forward to bring myself into a better healing. As a background in nursing, I realized my body was suffering. I was... Mm. I was not well. Mm-hmm. I was going to stay unwell unless I got better. And getting better meant I can do something about it. So it was positive choice. Now, when did you, uh, about how far would you say you were into the grief journey when you made that decision? I, I have to, and certainly you know it will be different for everyone, but I have to say I was a couple of months into mm-hmm. it, maybe three to four months, in which I felt like everyone's gone back to what they do and I have not. Mm-hmm. And I was very lonely there. Mm-hmm. My isolation was profound, certainly because I couldn't talk about it. I mean, who wants to speak about death, death by their own hand? Nobody does. So the isolation really reached a peak at about three to four months. And, and, and Gabrielle, it is hard when you, I remember when you're, you're outside walking around and living your life and you realize that everybody's going on business as usual and right. you've had this horrific loss of your son, and in my case, my brother died, you know, and, and it's like you want to shake the world and say, world, don't you realize my life has been turned upside down? Why is everybody going on business as usual? Right, exactly, and I think I, I wrote in the book, you know, bills are being paid, diapers are being changed, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm in extreme pain. Why aren't you paying attention to mm-hmm. me? And that's exactly right, what you're saying. You really... You really want people to keep keep you there. It's much more comfortable staying in a tough place sometimes. But they can't, and they don't, so I didn't think that I could either. Mm-hmm. What, what was your first step? Do you remember what was the first thing you did, or some of the first? The first thing I did was to start using some of the tools that, ironically, I had designed I, being a person um, – a healer and a consultant for 
people who are ill and have a lot of pain from, say, chronic and acute care illnesses. Uh, so I had created kind of a program for them, wow. and that was that's really what saved me because I turned to that program and I said to myself, I'm either going to hit the ground running or I'm going to be a splat. And so, so your program was put to the test. And the program was absolutely, I had to start walking the talk, and mm-hmm. it began with intention. And so by taking on intention in my own life, I found that I could create these small, minuscule goals that would take that first foot forward into some sort of a light on the pathway. Not, not the whole pathway. I could not see the whole pathway. I didn't know how to get out of totally out of the hole, but it felt like that first knot on the rope to kind of pull me forward, and so I started doing intentions so for give myself. So give us an intention that would be an early-on intention. What would it sound like? A, a very early-on intention for many mm-hmm. would be this morning I'm going to get up, and I'm actually going to get myself out of the house. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find a place to go that is, if I need it to be private, fine, but I'm going to get myself out of the house. And that first step of moving you out of an area that you have been dwelling in seems to be a whole change in your demeanor and your blood pressure and your pulse. Everything changes for the better when you move forward with a small minuscule intention, you find I can do that. And it's measurable. Either you got out of the house or you didn't get out of the house. And if you got out of the house and make that check mark and say, did it, I did it. It's measurable. And maybe tomorrow I'll get out in the house again. And then maybe next week I'll get out a couple of times during the day. So that intention is built personally for yourself Nobody created it for you. You decide what would help you take that first step that will be measurable and positive. And it must be positive because every single intention has to have a simple statement that's positive for yourself. And if you take that positive desire that you're working on, but maybe you have not yet worked it out, and it involves your thoughts, your emotional input, not your muscles, you suddenly feel, I've made a change, I've made an improvement, and I've measured it, and it's there. I like this. I like this, Gabrielle. And my mom and I always say, even if you don't buy into this, (laughs) it will still work. Right. You don't have to believe it for it to work. Do it, and then then check in with yourself about how you feel because you're going to feel better. Absolutely. I mean, the old adage, remember, fake it until you make it. Yes. I can't tell you the number of times I Mm -hmm. said, I'm not going to say this won't work, but you know what? I'm not convinced. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to do it. And the outcome is the outcome, but I'm doing it. And that, that led from one thing to the next. I mean, at one point, I changed from not smiling at all, which had been my whole life of smiling, mm-hmm. to smiling for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was so measurable. I smiled today. I was able to smile at somebody else and really feel happy to see them. Well, or... well and Gabrielle, the, the research shows that if you smile, it tells your brain that you're feeling good, you're in a positive state, and it'll change the way that you feel. So even the act of smiling changes the way that we feel. Sometimes we feel like we have to feel good to smile, 
Do the opposite. <laughs> Smile first and you will feel good. Absolutely. It, it sounds backward, but that's mm-hmm. the fake it until you make it part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That smiling's amazing. I was furious at uh, my husband yesterday. And rather than getting, I was walking up the stairs and I thought, I'm going to smile. Mm-hmm. And when I got up there, I was able to say, you know, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. But do you, you've got some other wonderful yeah. tools here. Now, I want to mention a couple, and, and you can expand on but yep. deep breathing, important. So we're talking about health, and then right. gratitude and meditation and um, manifest what you think. Tell us about that one, manifest what you think. Well, yes, this is probably the one, one of the ones that I – I have to practice the most and do practice the most and uh, manifesting what you think. Basically, it's known as the law of attraction. Um, Mm -hmm. And what this is about is that it says what we think is what we get. And the words that we use are incredibly important. So the more we talk negatively about ourselves or our situation, the more we Mm -hmm. bring that to you. That's the principle. Um, And a lot of people don't really abide by that. They they struggle with it, but philosophically, I will find that if I always say the words I do, I can, I am, I have been, I have, um, I'm never showing a lack of. So by manifesting, I get manifestation of what I want when I use the words, the positive words that, that take me there. And again, this is another fake it until you make it of well, really from the get-go. And Gabrielle, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. And you know, what we focus on grows. So you're, you're focusing, you're, like you said, you're thinking and focusing on positive things. And so you're starting to see them more and recognize them more and, and pay attention to them more. Because in my in my world, I believe that the universe always wants to give you what you want. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling them all the time that I want things that make me unhappy because I use the words that support that, it will send you that not out of being meanness. It's just that the thing, you use it a lot, so you must like that. That's what you're going to get. And as hard as it can be to say, I have abundance, you know, when you're very in deep in the um, in loss, you mm-hmm. do have abundance. So the more you, you see yourself as having abundance and stating that, you, the abundance comes. And it, I'm not always talking money, as I'm sure you understand. Mm-hmm. I'm talking right. about happiness, joy. Uh, the people in your life who will make you feel better suddenly appear because mm-hmm. you are expecting them to. Well, another one I wanted to mention uh, is your allowing uh, and zero judgment. Yeah. I think judgment is so important when you've had a, a loss of a child from whatever or a family member or a spouse where you feel like, I could have, I should have. Well, I have to tell you that allowing was the, the, really the tool that I had to work at the hardest. It took me a while to be able to follow my own good advice about allowing. And there's two types. There is allowing yourself, and then there's allowing of someone else. I always allow myself first because we are an emotional human being, and when we respond to something that's coming at us or you know towards us emotionally, we respond to that. We're a human vessel. It happens. So I allow, first of all, that I may not always respond emotionally 
like I'd like, but I go ahead and say, that's what is. I'm all set. I'm going to let that go. The other one is more difficult as well, and that would be allowing of someone else. And that is when you recognize through your very deliberate action that everyone's given right to have a thought and opinion that's different from yours. And when they come at you, for instance, I will give you a perfect example. I had um, early in the weeks after Drew passed, many of his friends, you know, were still around us. And I had one of his dearest friends come up to me and say, well, you know, Drew was a coward. Wow. That's awful. It very difficult, mm-hmm. and I was really trying to allow at this point. And I looked at him and I said, "You know, you you are entitled to believe that, but from my perspective, he was one of the bravest people I will ever ever know because he spent so much time hiding his pain, mm-hmm. and that that to me was an extremely brave human being." I, to this day, can still have a conversation with that same person because it does not help me to judge them and throw, really create a barrier to anybody who disagrees with me. So the allowing of yourself first, because my first reaction was, of course, I wanted to throw this young man off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. But the second thing was, this is how he sees it. This is not my belief system. This is not how I have to see it. But I can't judge him because he's he's not looking at it in the, in the way that I believe he should. So I have to allow that he does that. That is very, very hard. Gabrielle, I'm impressed that you could do that. I know very few people <laughs> well, that could I do that. Well, I don't say but, I always but, did it perfectly. But you know what you also did for him? you kind of stayed in that place with non-judgment, et cetera, because I feel like to a certain extent he can't tolerate his own feelings of sadness or, you know, anger, et cetera. He can't tolerate that. And that's a dangerous place to be from an individual, from a psychological perspective. So I love that you you stayed there for him because, you know, you gave him a big gift doing that. You know, actually, when I thought about it, he is only expressing his, he was expressing his own inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he come to me? Mm-hmm. I lost him. And that's where I think the zero judgment, as hard as it is, everyone has to win when you, when you do zero judgment. And how many times did I not tick this off as having done it right? I'd rather not compare the two lists. But I do it far easier now. And when you asked, how did that help me to move forward? What a relief when you don't have to live the belief of somebody else or stand stand up and fight your side of the belief. You just get to let that all go. I, I What an imp- well, uh, a huge step that was for me in my healing was to let all of that go and not have to do it anymore. But now I can just let you say what you need to say. I love this, Gabrielle, and we are going to end on that note. (laughs) I actually ran the show over a little bit because what you said is so interesting. You have got so many fabulous, you know, tools for survival and healing here. Thank you. Um, And they're in her wonderful book, Let Go and Let Love. It's a great book. And where can they get that, Gabrielle, and how do do people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me. through, uh, if you go to my website, survivorhealing.com, uh, you can get right into um, my 
my uh, Gmail, or excuse me, my my email, and notif- you know, get in touch with me. Ask me any of your questions. It's Gabrielle at SurvivorHealing.com, and I would be happy to to talk with you if you have questions about it. Whoever uh, would like to speak about it, some of these steps, or just any difficulties that you're experiencing, it's it's a privilege to me to be able to help with that. Well, Gabrielle, you're fabulous, and thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you. Well, Heidi, um, amazing tools, and I hope everyone that's listening will think uh, about the tools that they can use in their survival and tell your friends and family about this uh, wonderful book. It's a great book and a great show. Well, and uh, as always, Heidi and I want to say to you that if you've lost hope, please visit us at Open to Hope and lean on our hope until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.